You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. Absolutely love this guy. And there have been many times where I've been on and thought, gosh, I wish I could sing as good as Levi. (laughs) Because I've lost count at the amount of times I've tried to sing something in and something cracked that shouldn't have cracked. But to know that it happens to you too, my friend, (laughs) makes me so happy. (laughs) You are such a gracious church. You are such a gracious church. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And then when he got back to it again, these little cue was, come on, help me sing it this morning. (laughs) It's so good. But did you notice? that it didn't stop the presence of God. It didn't stop the presence of God because you know what? Even in the midst of something going wrong, it just happens. God can still move where there are hearts that are open and there are hearts that are hungry. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Would you turn with me in your Bible this morning to um, to Matthew 28? Matthew's Gospel in the 28th chapter. Reading from verse 1, it says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Imagine being known as the other Mary. (laughs) I know over the years there's been a number of Joels in the church, but I would have hated to have been known as the other Joel (laughs) or if someone else had been known that as well. But Matthew has written down that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I think it's funny, sometimes... I've been at different sporting events and you see some security guards and you think, oh my goodness, how are you a security guard? There are some guys who are really, really small, tiny guys. You think, gosh, if a big guy come running at you, what would you do about it? And there are some other security guards that I've seen and thought, gosh, if someone runs off with something, you've got Buckley's chance of catching up. <laughs> but you see, when... When we talk about the guards that were guarding the tomb, these were some of the most elite soldiers in the Roman legion, maybe, if that's the right word. But as this angel came down, rolled back the stone and sat on it, these guards shook. They were full of fear and became like dead men. They'd seen battle. And I don't think there would have been a heck of a lot of things that would have scared them or worried them. But this angel appearing, they were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Verse 5 says, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. 
He has risen. Just as he said. Amen. Someone's happy about that. Love it. (laughs) He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have this morning to gather together, to exalt you, to honor you. I thank you. Your word says that where there are two, where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst. I pray as we take a couple of moments this morning to open your word, that you would speak, that you would speak. What you once said this morning would be said. Father, I pray that as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would flood this place. Let it fall on every single person that we would know you more. Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Saturday, the 9th of June, 2007, is a date that will be forever etched in my memory. It was the day that I had planned for months as the day that I would propose to Rebecca Marie Cubis. Saturday, the 9th of June, 2007. That weekend, I was leading up and I'd done the right thing and I had rung Beck's dad who was at the time living in Vietnam and we had a good little conversation over the phone and I couldn't actually go and see him. I wasn't prepared to pay the money to fly to Vietnam and nor was he going to pay the money to come and see me. So it was going to be (laughs) us just chatting over the phone and he had given me his blessing to ask his daughter for her hand in marriage. We were getting closer to that day. Saturday, the 9th of June, 2007. However, on Friday, the 8th of June, 2007, a gigantic storm decided to rear its head over Newcastle and the Hunter region. And just by happenstance, a 225-metre bulk carrier decided to position itself on Nobby's Beach. Do you know where I wanted to propose to Beck? (laughs) At the end of Nobby's break wall. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. Saturday morning, I was desperate. I I wanted to propose. I would have proposed anywhere. I would have proposed in the Macca's drive-thru. I just wanted to do it. I was so excited. But the shop where the engagement ring was being kept was closed because of a blackout. I couldn't even get to this ring. So I was in a pretty filthy mood that day, knowing that it was going to be an extra week before I could propose. I didn't want to do it during, the, I wanted to do it the following Saturday. And anyway, that Saturday night on the 9th of June, Beck's dad, who was over in Vietnam, is sending me text messages. I hope it's going so well tonight. It's like, nah, (laughs) it's not, it is not happening. Anyway, the following Saturday, the 16th of June, Nobby's break wall was still a little bit um, out of reach at that time because the Pasha Bolka decided that it wanted to stay there for an extended period of time. And I ended up out on Dudley Bluff. Dudley Bluff, another spot that Beck and I would like to go and sit. 
And as we're heading out to the bluff and I've got the ring in my pocket, we're out overlooking the water. And I drop to one knee. I made the first move, asking Beck if she would marry me. And I waited for her response. You know, I, I believe strongly that if the Christian life could be summed up in one word, that word would be response. That would be response. You might be thinking, well, what, what are you kind of getting at here? Well, I, I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus, who, let's back it up a little bit, was, was born of a virgin and, and walked the earth, died on the cross and was rose again, that was God making the ultimate first move. The ultimate first move in seeking to reconnect humanity with his heart. God making that first move. And I believe with all my heart that our life, the way that we live, the way that we think, echoes our response to that first move. It echoes our response to that first move. God has made the ultimate first move toward us. And for every moment of every day, when we accept what He did for us, we live in response. Every thought, every action is in response. But I believe there are so many of us, so many of us, who live from a place of desperately trying to make the first move toward God and trying to eke out a response from Him. That if I can just get myself together, if I can just work it all out, if I can just get all my ducks in a row and then come before God, God's going to be pleased with me. God's going to accept me. God's going to want me. But what we don't realise is he's already made that first step. He's already made that first move. Can you imagine? I dropped to one knee on Dudley Bluff and proposed to Beck. Will you marry me? Making the first move. All of a sudden, Beck runs off. She gets in the car. She takes off to a hair appointment to go and get her hair done. Then she goes and buys another outfit. Any excuse, right? Another outfit, a new pair of shoes. Then she goes and she does a makeup and spends all this time in front of the mirror. She then goes out and she buys me a gift or something and then comes back with a bucket of KFC as well just to top it all off <laughs> and stands before me and says, will you marry me now? But for so many of us, that's what we actually do with God. You know how stupid that story, that story sounds? It is ridiculous, isn't it? It's absolutely ridiculous. But so many of us, myself included, do that with God. God's already made that first response. He's opened his arms and said, come. I love that song, Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. But instead of responding and going, 
Thank you, Jesus. Just as I am, I come. We run off and we think that we've got to get everything in order. We've got to go and we've got to spend three months without missing a day of reading our Bible. We've got to make sure we spend at least 20 minutes a day praying. We've got to get everything sorted out. And then we come back to God and say, God, will you have me? But God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. But so many of us, that's how we live. That's how we act. But the message of the empty tomb that we've read about in Matthew 28 is come and see. The angel says to the women at the tomb, come and see. In essence, come and see what God has done. Come and see the place where he lay. That word lay is past tense. Because as we read, he is not here. He has risen. The angel says, come and see. Come and see what I've done for you. Come and see what God has done. But the enemy has warped it in our mind as come and do. Come and do. The message of the empty tomb. Come and see what I've done for you. Not come and do. Come and do. Ephesians 2 and verse 13. Should be coming up on the screens now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, one of the ways that I like to study the Bible and have time in my own devotions is to look at a verse and to break it down into key parts. So if you can just bear with me, we're going to be a little bit more practical about this. And maybe this might help you in your own study of the word. But but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you who once were far away, you includes me, it's we. We were far away from God. God wasn't far away from us. We were far away from Him. Who once were far away have been brought near. We've been brought near. Let's look at some of those words. We who once were far away have been brought near. But what have we been brought near by? We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. We're not brought near by our own Christian display or our own works or our own ability to make God happy with us. Brought near by the blood of Christ. The the blood of Christ was his first move. It was his ultimate first move that will never, ever be undone. But it's up to me how I will respond to that first move. Will I respond by bowing my knee and surrendering my will? 
Or will I respond in a way that I don't need that? But the message of the empty tomb, come and see what God has done. Not come and do. Because the stone wasn't rolled away from the tomb to let Jesus out, but to let us in. Let me say that again. The tomb, the stone in front of the tomb was not rolled away to let Jesus out, but to let us in. Our God is in the ministry and is in the business of letting us in. That is what he wants for you. That is what he wants for you. I love that verse in Ephesians. Us who were once far away have been brought near, have been let in, have been included by the blood of Jesus Christ. The resounding cry of God's heart is come. But maybe the image that you have of God is anything but come. Or if it is come, it's come and get a wallop. Come and get a flogging. But God is saying to you this morning, come. Come and see what I've done. Come and see what I've done. I feel like God's saying this morning, I'm not interested in what you've done. I'm not interested in what you've said. I'm not interested in how you've tried to live. I'm not interested in your Facebook and Instagram perfect life. I'm not interested in your fake and how you present yourself. I find great solace in Psalm 139. There it is, Rob. Psalm 139, just for you, buddy. You have searched me and you know me. You have searched me and you know me. So when God looks at you with love in his eyes, he's saying, come. But come knowing that I have searched you and I know you. There is nothing about you that is hidden from him. He's let us in. He wants to let you in. He's brought us near by the blood of Jesus. He's brought us near by the blood of Jesus. Do you feel good? Feel nice? Well, let's change direction slightly. Luke verse 12, chapter 12 and verse 48. It says, to whom much is given, much is required. Now, God wants us to get such a real revelation and understanding that we can come just as we are, that we, we are let in. We have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, but he doesn't want us to just live in that moment. He doesn't want us to just live in that place 
of just, we're soaking in the fact that we have been let in. He wants us to know that and he wants us to understand. But the journey doesn't end there. The journey does not end there. To whom much is given, much is required. You might think, well, I I don't have much. I haven't been given much. I've got a couple of bucks in my pocket, a couple of fuel vouchers. But believe me, when we have been given grace, when we have been given redemption by the blood of Jesus, we have been given much. We have been given much into whom much is given Much is required. As much as we have been let in, let in on what God has done. Come and see what I've done for you. Once we have come and seen, God wants us to help let others in. He wants us to help let others in. Our response to being let in must be to let others in also. But I wonder how many of us as Christians are more like the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. I'm not going to read through it, but the story of the unmerciful servant tells about a king who comes to a servant who owes 10,000 gold somethings. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's a huge debt. And he couldn't repay the debt so he says, yeah, we're going to gather your wife and your kids and I'm going to send them off to slavery to pay your debt. He goes, please give me some more time. I'll repay the debt. And the king decides, you know what? I'm going to cancel the debt. I'm going to just cancel it. The story then says that the servant walks out and seeing a man who owed him a hundred silver pieces, just a very small sum compared to what he owed to the king. He grabbed the man, pay back the debt you owe. He had him thrown in prison. The king found out, needless to say, he was very unimpressed. But I wonder how many of us are like the unmerciful servant, that we've been forgiven much. We've been let in on what God is doing. Yet when it comes to someone else and letting someone else in, we're not as gracious. You know, the five pillars of our church, I see a church hungry for God. see a church who love the Bible. I see a church unified with an unshakable love for one another. We come down to number four. I see a church with a huge heart for the lost and the broken. You know, that whole concept of the church I see, it's not just a corporate picture. But what makes up a church that is hungry for God? A church that is hungry for God is made up of individual people who are hungry for God, who are collectively hungry for Him. A church that has a huge heart for the lost and the broken is made up of people who have a huge heart for the lost and the broken. But someone who has a huge heart for the lost and the broken 
knows without a shadow of a doubt that without Jesus, they too are simply lost and broken. I'm lost and broken. But the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart. I've been let in. I've been let in to have a huge heart for the lost and the broken. It's simply been let in and know that they play a part in letting others in as well. God has let you in. How well are you doing at letting others in? How well are you doing at letting others in? I've got a mate that I used to work with at the bank. I might have told you about him before. But this guy, he's a funny little character. And um, he and I um, struck up a very unique friendship when we were working together. If you can't tell, I'm a ginger. And um, my friend has a face that sometimes can make him look like a bulldog. And, uh, and our boss used to call us Milo and Otis. <laughs> our, um, <laughs> our boss worked in Sydney. And we'd get on the teleconference and he'd call us. And she'd call us, <laughs> it's Milo and Otis up there in Newcastle. <laughs> I think it's great. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Some people probably get really upset and offended by that. But... <laughs> But my friend, that we worked next to each other for a number of years. And he's got a very different way of thinking. When I left the bank, I was a bit uncertain about where things were going to head for him. But we've stayed in contact. And... One day, I just sent him a text message. said, hey, mate, how's things going? We should catch up for lunch. He said, you know what? Things are going really, really bad. Things are going absolutely terrible. He'd been in a long-term relationship with a, with a lady and they had a house together and he'd gone off to America. In the process of his text message, he said, I, I've made an absolute mess of everything else. I've, I've made a mess of everything. And then he sent me another message and said, but I guess coming out is going to do that. Here's this guy for a number of years had battled with his own sexuality. And we just sat together and had lunch. And um, telling me how relationships are just broken down. It'd been the worst couple of months. He'd just been cast aside by people. And um, but it's something just... I don't think it's pride. Something in me smiled that my friend who really, in a lot of ways, walks so far from Christian belief, so far away from it in so many ways, 
we differ on a number of things and he's very politically minded and loves the political side of things and we'd have lots of fun banter. But he felt comfortable to have lunch with his Christian mate and just talk about it. I didn't sit there with him and preach to him. I didn't sit there and try and tell him that the decision that he was making was wrong and that's just an abomination. I didn't try and tell him that at all. I just sat and listened. But I believe that I think I may be the only Christian in his world. But God has put on me an expectation, having been let in, having been myself let in by the blood of Jesus, to be someone that can help him be let in. I can't change him. God's not asking me to change him. But God's expecting that I'm going to stand there and I'm going to open the door. I'm going to stand there. I'm going to open the door. But sometimes when we open the door for people, we tend to stand in the way. Like we came in from a walk yesterday and I said to Ethan, Ethan, can you hold the door for me while I bring the pram in? He did, but he stood in the middle of the doorway and held it open and I couldn't even get in. So we think we're opening the door and holding the door open for people, but we're actually still inhibiting them and getting in. I want to stand and hold the door open for my mate. Because at, at some point, he's going to have a revelation. And only the Holy Spirit can do a work within his heart. Second Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 16 in the message translation. It says... So forget about the first little bit and we're going to start from our firm decision. Our firm decision is to work from this focused centre. This is Paul writing. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. Hello. We don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. John 3.16, whoever believes in me, whoever. Wherever you find yourself, God, who has given you much, is requiring much of you to be someone who lets others in, to include others, to help bring them in to a relationship with God. We don't do all the work. Absolutely not. The Holy Spirit does his part, but he wants to work in and through us to help. 
outside, in your workplace, whatever sphere you may find yourself in, one of the greatest ways that you can let others in, help let others in, is by letting the way you talk marry up with the way you live. If there is anything that blocks the doorway more than anything else, I believe it's hypocritical Christians. But on a Sunday, absolutely, that's just as important. But maybe, just maybe, it might be going out of your way, looking someone in the eye and welcoming them including them. Let's have a cup of coffee together. Let's go downstairs and have a cup of coffee. In the way that you interact with people, do you come in and just mingle with the same people? Or are your eyes open seeing who you can include and bring in? We've got a mantra over our... Mantra is probably the wrong word. We've got a something that has been said over our house for a number of years. Is you can belong before you believe. So we can help let others in before they even believe. Let's be a church who does that. Levi, if the crew can come back as we just bring this to a close. Matthew 28. Back at the text that we started at a little while ago. Reading from verse 6, I don't think the guys down the back have got verse 7. He is not here, he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. But the conversation and what the angel is saying to the women at the tomb doesn't finish there. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell Then go quickly and tell. We need to come and see. But our response needs to be to go and tell. To go and having been let in, let others in. I invite you to just bow your head. Close your eyes. Maybe you're here this morning. And your whole picture of God is anything but the God that we've been talking about this morning. You may have been sitting through our service and thinking, Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open. That's who God is. The God that we worship. The God that we've been talking about. The God that we've been singing to this morning. His heart is open. And the cry of his heart would be that you would come. That you would come and see what he has done. Holy Spirit, I pray you would sweep across this place this morning. If you're here this morning 
and you want to take that first step and respond to God saying, come. Come. You can come just as you are. Don't have to go and get your stuff all together. But if you would like to respond and come this morning, I invite you to raise your hand. Thank you. I see that hand down there. Father's arms are open. Maybe you're here this morning and you might be sitting in your seat and you're thinking, yeah, Joel, I, um, I've already come. But I came and I left. That tomb is still open. That tomb is still open. And God is saying to you this morning, come and see again. Come and see again what I have done for you. If that's you this morning and you want to come and see again, would you raise your hand? Come and see what the Father has done for you. Come and see. We have had one person respond that call to come this morning. While your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, we're going to pray. So this person doesn't feel isolated or highlighted in any way. I ask that you would repeat this prayer after me. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you have brought me near by your blood. I thank you that I can come just as I am. Father, I ask that you would forgive me of all my sin you would wash me clean help me to walk with you and follow you all the days of my life in Jesus name Amen Father I thank you for this person who has responded this morning Father I thank you your arms are open wide Father, I pray that your presence, your spirit would envelop them in a real way. For people here who may have prayed that prayer and not wanted to have raised their hands, let your presence envelop them. Let, let them know of your how much you love them, how much you are for them. God, I pray that you would guard that which you have done in their heart today. Guard it, I pray. And before we close, I, I really, I want to pray. For us. That we would truly get a revelation. 
that we too are just lost and broken. We are lost and broken without Jesus. We have simply been let in. And of the requirement, for want of a better word, to help let others in. Father, I pray this morning. Father, we see a church with a huge heart for the lost and the broken. Father, I pray that you would give each one of us, every single one of us, a fresh revelation of what we have been saved from. A fresh revelation that we are simply lost and broken people who have had the love of Christ shed abroad in our hearts. Father, I pray that you would keep us grounded. You would keep us grounded. Father, expand our hearts. Increase our capacity to love. Increase our capacity to include. Increase our capacity to bring others in. Father, I thank you that there is more room in our hearts. There is more room in our church for people to come just as they are. Father, I pray that you would you would fill us with your spirit. Fill us with the ability to be able to see as you see. Father, I pray that you would would move so deeply within our hearts that we truly would be includers of others. Let this church be known that you can come just as you are, just as you are.